road again Going places that I've never been Seeing things that I may never see again I can't wait to get on the road again Hey everybody and welcome to the Where's Willie podcast. Join me, William Miller, as I travel the country talking to manufacturers of all types about their trials, tribulations, and triumphs in the industry. This show is brought to you by Koganay International America, Inc. Thank you all so much for tuning in to the Where's Willie podcast. I am your host, William Miller. Don't forget to jump over to Apple Podcasts, Google Play, iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts and hit the subscribe button. And don't forget to leave a rating and a review of my show so I can work to give you more of what you want to hear in the world of manufacturing, leadership, and everyday life. Again, welcome to the Where's Willie podcast, sponsored by Koganay International America, Inc., a global manufacturer of more than 512,000 components that help miniaturize every device, machine, automated and robotic process in every industry of manufacturing. Today on the Where's Willie show, my travels take me to Pleasant Grove, Utah. My guest today is President John Keller of Redlist, who is all about productivity, faster and easier. I welcome you to the Where's Willie podcast show, John. Thanks, Willie. Glad to be here today. All right. So first things first, who is Redlist? Okay, so it's a great question. So Redlist is a SaaS product. We're a suite of apps that really help to streamline the workflow processes between safety, maintenance, and production. So, you know, when it comes to heavy industry or industries that use heavy equipment, there's really two elements that always show up as some of the, the biggest line items on the P&L. The first is our people, and the second are the machines that they operate. So in our world, it's critical that we really find a way to help these two elements work together in harmony and in concert. And interestingly enough, you know, today there are still billions of dollars of equipment from various industrial manufacturing or service providers that are still being managed through paper processes or scores of clunky and uh, disparate systems. And it's no wonder why it's a challenge, because in the heavy equipment space, it's not uncommon for production safety and maintenance divisions to be managed by different people or regulated by different industries or entities, and in some sense, driving towards very different objectives. So to compound matters, often these different divisions usually operate in a vacuum where the blind spots and misaligned pressures from each of the different divisions kind of result in some very powerful silos. And uh, this means that different parts of the business are in regular conflict with one another. And in a very real sense, optimizing any one of these points also means sub-optimizing the others. And really to solve this, this has been around for as long as, uh, you know, manufacturing and regulation and compliance have existed. And so there's a lot of companies out there who are realizing that if they can get ahead of this, if they can figure out how to really get all of these different divisions in their company to share information appropriately and to make that experience useful for their end users as well as their employees and all the different stakeholders, that there's going to be a lot of market share to pick up. And these companies that are coming to this realization are really recognizing that they're not able to do it alone. So they're going to need the support of professionals that understand the industries they're in and that understand the software systems that will facilitate their success in their specific industry. So these guys, in some sense, we think there's a lot of people out there that are looking for kind of a special forces software team for their company. 
-hmm. And really that's how a lot of people view us at Redlist. We see ourselves as a special forces team that understands our customers' industries. We have the right tech for the engagement and we work responsibly uh, with our customers and in real time to help them tackle the top priorities on their red list or think of it as a short list of things to do. So for me in my world then, I understand the opportunity that Redlist can provide. Why don't you just help me understand that what is it that you know you had mentioned, you know, you're a SaaS company. What is the service or the actual products that you guys provide that kind of provide for that need uh, or realization that you made in the world of manufacturing? Great. Now so we have a a digital suite of tools that work either on Apple or Android mobile devices or desktop, right? Anything that runs through a browser, we have web apps and native apps. Okay. And within these tools, we have a digital forms framework. So it allows easy capture of information, whether that's dictated information, written information, pictures, video. We can capture things in the field to kind of help now organize that information and put it in the backdrop with all the other information that is being collected or generated through the company or through its operations. So think of it as a, a anywhere that people have historically used paper or are currently using paper, we would help that to be digital and connect all of that information and relationships with other parts of the business. So that's that's one part of our tool. With the other part of our tool, we really we call the production suite. So this is where you could actually capture work orders or create work orders and then track them through each step of the process through the business workflow, connecting, you know, scheduling equipment or people to be available for different runs and to meet to fulfill different different work requests. And then of course that would be tied in in real time with the other information that we've captured through the safety forms or through the other inspection forms or through what other health environmental or whatever other information people are gathering. Okay. And then we have this maintenance suite, right? So think of it as a it's a cloud-based, super-connected CMMS, so a computerized maintenance management system where we can now help to automate a lot of the human processes that are going on in that whole workflow and know that when somebody is running an inspection, for example, and something fails inspection or requires more information, it can kick out an automatic work order that goes into either preventative or reactive maintenance workflow system, so we can do that. And then the thing is, when you have these different pieces that are all together, you can actually now start capturing information from machines. So in the world of IoT, you know, you can imagine that a lot of these different manufacturing facilities are spending a tremendous amount of money on their equipment. And you're not going to be spending millions of dollars on equipment that doesn't start to have some intelligent sensors built into it. And this is already happening, and this trend is not going away. This will continue to be more frequent, we'll see vibration sensors, thermography sensors, ultrasonic. We'll see a lot of different things built into systems to kind of help them keep themselves in check and to make sure that that information that is coming is relevant, right? You'll want to actually tie that into human response systems as well. So we can capture information from the machines and then feed it back to when a human goes and validates or invalidates whatever signal is being thrown. We now have a suite of tools because we're based in the cloud. We can leverage a lot of really exciting tools and information to begin using some machine learning and some artificial intelligence to help the operators and help the administrators start making some really smart decisions with some of the latest technologies to help them 
get ahead of the cost or the potential downtime in their company and, and leverage those tools. So we have, we have these basic elements that capture information and to coordinate people. And then we have, through our cloud-based platform, we can leverage a lot of the power of the Internet of Things and machine learning and artificial intelligence. Wow. So really, to me, you have the potential to disrupt the market because everything that you just told me very simply is a very specific ERP system. And you have the ability to have everything be seamless in real time. And I would expect, because you had mentioned IIoT, the ability then for access from the back office to even the fields in, with their mobile devices. Is that correct? That's correct. So what we're really looking for here is in, a, in the companies of the past, right, there would, you'd capture information from your safety division or from your production division or from your maintenance division, and that information is captured usually on paper or maybe it got captured in a spreadsheet. And it kind of lived in its own siloed world. And what's interesting is a lot of that information that, you know, is relevant in the safety world or in the production world or in the maintenance world is useful across all the other departments, but it stays in its siloed space. And the operators get really fatigued of entering the same thing over and over, whether it's on paper or through a spreadsheet. And so they start to, a lot of that information that could reside in a shared format ends up as tribal information in people's own minds or in a company's culture. And so our whole objective is to make that information capturing as easy and as fast as possible and to make that information sharing as relevant and as easy as possible so that businesses can really not have the headaches that are associated with trying to organize that. That can be done for them automatically and they can really focus on what's gonna really grow their business to capture more market share or to recruit and retain better talent. Okay, so John, then, you know, for all of our listeners and, and even myself, you know, I'm starting to hear your value proposition coming out more, why more people should be partnering with Redlist. If I understand you correct, current manufacturing ERP systems have limitations or there's a lot of repetitive entry hours per week being done. And what Redlist can do is accelerate or improve efficiency and cut down the amount of hours that's being done with inputting and make it now be seamless, accessible, and also, to your point, no longer in a silo where you're tabbing through to find the information. It's going across all activities that relate to what? Like a work in process, an order, everything? Yeah, so depending on the different pieces that uh, you've configured in the system, you can connect any information that is captured in the system, you can connect to one another, right? So the short answer is, yeah, absolutely. I mean, what's happening now is people are having, they're checking in, they're entering their time somewhere, they're starting to do whatever work orders are coming through. Mm -hmm. And that information can be useful to the safety side or to the maintenance side to know how many cycles have gone on a certain piece of equipment or when it's coming up for its, its next cycle or whether that, not that equipment can or cannot be worked on that day. I mean, typically speaking, the production and maintenance side are always kind of in a tug of war with each other because production always needs the machines running and maintenance always wants to have time to work on the machines. And so to find a way to kind of orchestrate that in a way that helps each group optimize their outcome is really what we're going for. Wow. Okay. So then I guess this is my question, right? I work for a global manufacturer and let's say, and I don't know offhand who we use, but for example, let's walk the listeners through an example. So you're going to come and talk to a manufacturer like Kogane, for example, right? Mm -hmm. And 
you're going to understand what we currently do, and then you're going to explain what we can now do with Red List. So can you just, I guess, with the discussions and some of the business you've won without disclosing who you've worked with, can you give me an exact example? For instance, you had mentioned maintenance and there being friction with other departments. So like if I'm sitting with you and I'm saying, okay, we got to improve efficiency here because we're just taking forever to get stuff done. You can answer that. Can you just like give me a specific example? Like, like you had mentioned, machine uptime. So walk me through like, you know, what Redlist can do now for one of our issues being, yeah, you know, our production on a machine. No, that's a great point. So we, we have a large customer yep. who is a cement manufacturer. Mm-hmm. And they have a reliability team whose job it is to make sure that all the different parts are being lubricated appropriately. This team also happens to be in charge of a number of health, environmental, and safety inspections, right? To make sure there's X amount of particulates in the air and that all the machines are running properly to, to keep everything compliant, right? Okay. And working with this group and their team, as they started going through the process and system, they obviously they have a number of failures you know, from either bearings seizing up or a piece of equipment just being out of alignment. And the challenge is that that can cause some serious downtime. And their particular segment of the system, when, when it's down, then the entire workflow is down. And you, it's really hard to make up, right? Like once you kind of lost that production, it's kind of lost. So the whole objective is to say, how do we make sure that all the machines are running on time? And as we looked, we sat down with them and we mapped out all of their systems and the routes that go into making sure that their lubrication management and that the standard inspections were taking place. And what we discovered when doing that and kind of helping them configure the amount of time that each task should take, they discovered that it was actually, they had far more tasks to do than the current size of their team even existed, right? That was actually a really interesting kind of discovery. And by looking at though, we were able to identify that hey, you know, in working with another one of their partners, a lubricant supplier, we were able to identify that by switching some of their lubes to synthetics that their existing workforce could cover all of the needs, right? And actually, they could end up spending about the same amount of money on lubes because it required far less frequency. But now they're actually, now their equipment, now they have enough people to cover all of the reliability and maintenance and lubrication management support that goes into that equipment they were able to cover it with their existing team and thereby dramatically reduce downtime from equipment failures. And obviously they have a very big back end. This one, I believe uh, they're using one of the big three, right? Whether it's SAP, JDE, or Maximo for their actual ERP system. And so we obviously, we can just interface directly into that. We can integrate this a basic time and materials to kind of get that plugged in, but we can make sure that we capture stuff that's easy and lightweight in the field and then we can kind of just push that up with a matching work order in SAP or, or JDE or Maximo. What we're discovering is a lot of these existing ERPs that have been around for a really long time, it's very cumbersome to change a form or to change a process, right? It's a very big program. It's, tied, it's an accounting first kind of approach. And so the people in the field go and do what the people in the field do. And then when they come back, they're just clicking whatever button they need to in the system to get paid that's often we we see that very frequently that's because it's tied into their accounting but the actual but what they're actually doing in the field doesn't necessarily match the work order and so our whole objective is to get in there and say hey we have a a really lightweight easy to use tool right and then it actually 
faster than a lot of other solutions that they're using in the field. And then once that's captured, then they can just plug it in and set it up. They can either, depending on how they've got it, it can either happen automatically or sometimes they'll just really quickly just kind of copy and paste because it saves them a lot of time from moving from the paper forms in anyways. And they can just send that up to the cloud and then it ties into their actual ERP platform and everybody's kind of golden there. Wow. So number one, like credit to you guys for discovering the opportunity and obviously starting the business. Like now I'm kind of like blown away or amazed. Can we take a step back? Like obviously now I clearly understand the value that you guys offer. How did this company begin? That's a great question. So my partner and uh, co-founder, Talmadge Wagstaff, he grew up in the heavy industry space. Okay. So really from the time he was a, a toddler kind of running around his family's crane company, he was out greasing dirt and working on the maintenance and the planning and the dispatch side of heavy equipment space. And he always had an interest in technology as well. He got his master's degree in civil engineering and mechanical engineering. And he's also an industrial engineer. And he ended up getting a job and working for Exxon Mobil as a field lube engineer. And he ended up really servicing many of the nation's largest lubricants and fuel consumers, right? So whether it was large paper mills or mining companies or primary metal manufacturers or whatever, he's whoever was using a lot of lubricants, like he'd get in there and kind of help them to identify cost savings and really provide that that service element that ExxonMobil offers to its larger customers. In the process of doing that, you know, he started realizing, man, the same problems that we experienced in my family's crane company are also happening in these very, some of the biggest brands in America. Like these people are, are actually still trying to deal with the same issues that smaller companies are dealing with. And they haven't, and, and recognize that they hadn't yet had an answer to that. He's like, man, this, you know, really, I think there's a, an opportunity to solve that problem. So he actually got called back to work more at his family's crane company and opportunity to help them take it to the next level. So he started working again at the family's crane company and saw an opportunity to start solving some of their problems with technology, looking at the existing platforms out there to help him with safety and, and maintenance and production and realized, man, they're all still so siloed. So he kind of approached me. My experience is in entrepreneurship on a number of different levels, both in this retail product side, the retail services side, and also in software. And I have another partner who's a a brilliant architect and technical advisor to us. And he built systems in his early days for Walmart and a number of other large companies. So he understood the architecture and how to put together. And so between Tal's experience in the heavy industry space and Casey, our partner and technical advisor, and his experience in software architecture and building industrial systems. And then my experience in some entrepreneurship and business development, we really kind of came together and said, hey, let's actually, we think there's a massive opportunity here. It's a big market. There's a lot of competitors in the space, but there's nobody who's really trying to give a single smart platform for these various silos. And so we, we kind of got together and we started testing out our kind of minimum viable product on that about five years ago. And we have been working, we worked with a number of companies in our home state of Utah and started working with a number of companies outside of Utah. And you know, we're really excited. We've got a number of partnerships with some of the largest companies in the world that we'll be working on and hopefully announcing here soon. And we've got 
a growing customer base that, and the tool continues to get stronger and more robust. And we're just really enjoying this opportunity to, to grow and provide solutions for really an industry that we love. I mean, we love the fact that the people that we're working with, I mean, these are, our customers are the people who are building the world. They're the people who are kind of building society as we know it. I mean, if, if our customers stop, then really the economy would stop. And so we're happy to be part of that discussion and to be kind of counted among the world builders, I guess, so to say. That's awesome. So John, you know, so in the last five years, obviously you guys are having success. What would you say then, very simply, what do you attribute that success to? Why are companies, you know, discovering Red List and partnering with you versus other options that they could have? Again, that's a, that's a really good question. And I would really say that for us, our success is really rooted in our culture and our values. Okay. We have a, a very Spartan mindset. I think all of the members of our team are really relentless in our pursuit to excel and win in whatever we undertake. I mean, we really do see Red List as a way to help make a difference in the lives of the different companies that we work with and that we work for. And all of the team members like are just, in some sense, they're all warriors. We kind of tease about it, but uh, everybody, even our developers, spend time in the fields and they got to get mud on their boots and grease under their fingernails. And wherever we are, we're really trying to understand our customers and bring them real value. And it's kind of rain or shine. Like we've got to, we have to be reliable and we have to have to meet the need. And so it's that kind of that hunger and that relentless spirit, I think, that has brought success and has helped us to qualify to partner with some very large companies. That's awesome. So if if we were to, because as you know, you know, I always have people you know, say to me, it's like, well, Will, where does Kogane specifically serve? I'm like, anybody that physically makes anything, <laughs> like the TV show, how it's, <laughs> I don't care if it's a snake, <laughs> I don't care if it's heavy equipment, they all use components. We make those components and then they use them with their own creativity for their own automated process or their device or their machine or on a robot. So for you, and of course, with your rapid growth, you're always being introduced to new customers. I get that. And maybe different industries. But, you know, as you look at top down within your team and your sales team, you know, do you kind of say, hey, we really want to focus on a niche of heavy equipment manufacturers or because of the rapid success, are you guys saying, hey, if they've got a process, they need efficiency, we can do it regardless if it's medical, food processing, heavy equipment, textile, anything. No, I, I like how you, how you said that. I think for us, we identify kind of our a primary point for us is something as simple as lubrication management, right? There's a lot of different people out there who are experiencing failures in their business and in their equipment prematurely, or people who know that if they could just get their equipment to last longer through the proper maintenance and care, then they would really have an edge on the market. So that, I think that's like a primary entry point for us. So from a marketing perspective, we start there. That often quickly turns into conversations regarding other elements of their business, right? Whether it's capturing safety and compliance issues or finding ways to better automate some of the other parts of their maintenance programs or to make sure that scheduling equipment and people to fulfill work orders is being being done properly. So for us, like we focus, I think, our focus really is this lubrication management kind of target entry point. And then as we get into those discussions, it opens up a lot more opportunities that our platform can handle. Because 
so they started with lubrication management, but that really kind of, these are people doing regular tasks that need to be done that have a, an effective impact on the bottom line. And the second that they start seeing how that works and how that moves, then we start, they start asking for more features and more opportunities. And that's kind of, the platform is built to do that. So we start there and that's really where we'll be pushing, especially in 2020. And the rest kind of is available, but, and it kind of comes as the customer's request. So John, I'm dying to ask you this question because of course I'm biased and because you're president of a company that's growing really, really fast. If you say an answer the way that I'm hoping you will, I'll just be really happy. (laughs) So, you know, you talk about efficiencies. You know, one of the things that we talk about with the products that we make, and this isn't a, I'm not asking you to endorse Kogane, but this is the question. A lot of times people will say, hey, your part, you know, let's say one of our shock absorbers. They're rated to 3 million cycles. Most of the industry or people we compete against, their product only lasts 1 million cycles before replacement. So, you know, one of the value propositions that I've always talked about is we make small parts, but it's the totality or the quality or the, you know, repeatability of these products you buy that have a direct impact on, you know, predictive maintenance. If you buy cheap parts that don't last as long, even with, you know, working with Redlist, if they're buying, you know, and replacing and servicing equipment with cheap knockoff or it's not the right or it's kind of close, can I ask you to confirm that that can be a problem and that the components that are used can have an impact on serviceability or maintenance of a given application or process? Absolutely. Components that fail prematurely can have a tremendous impact on cost of ownership. You right? are the greatest and man in the industry. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, and I'm, and I'm well, because yeah. I want to peel the onion now because this is when it starts getting exciting. So this is like, now we're getting into the, the everyday life. Like this is the reality though, right? Like these are the conversations you're coming back and saying, hey, look, you know, we're seeing your team, they're doing five maintenance orders on this machine a week. What's going on? Like, we need to peel the onion and figure this out. Is that correct? Yeah, for sure. I mean, it's really, and it's interesting because the onion can turn even into a little bit of a a rabbit hole because with the future of data that's coming out, right, of all the different information, an OEM that produces, that has a machine that provides some equipment or an appliance that provides a service, right? If they have a piece of equipment that is, has certain parts in it that should provide X number of service, right? It's really, the OEMs are kind of in a tug of war right now with the owners of the companies that buy the equipment to say, well, who owns that data? So the tricky thing is when a, a piece of equipment fails, the future OEM may have all sorts of sensors that kind of told it what was going on, but that information isn't necessarily readily shared with the owner of the machine that was purchased from the OEM. Oh. And so you're kind of digging into this really interesting place of who owns that information as that becomes available, and then what level of sharing of information between the owner and the OEM should be done. Because if you were to fast forward into the future 20 years, like you're gonna maybe know exactly which part keeps breaking on a piece of equipment, at least the OEM will. Yeah. The OEM will know the component that fails and when and why and how, and they're gonna kind of shape their warranties around that kind of stuff, and they'll kind of be working through that. And then I think where you're kind of describing those, there's a tremendous amount of opportunity for owners today to start capturing that information and get way ahead of the curve 
because mm-hmm. that information is actually easy to capture. It just gets lost very quickly. This piece of equipment failed five times. We fixed what part again? And the fun thing is, if that information is available, right, depending on from your maintenance team, with all the reporting tools that are out there, as long as that information is being captured in a way that can be easily shared, that report is could not be easier to create or to look at in real time from a smartphone, from a desktop. I mean, that information can be captured today. Mm-hmm. Uh, down the road, though, the OEMs will have that in very granular detail. But today, that information can be captured today, and it comes from the ownership side. And the, the manufacturers would love to get their hands on that, and that's kind of part of the tug of war. And so now I want to go into these next questions about, you know, what does the future look like? You know, for me, you know, you talked about in the beginning, and obviously the owners, the leaders of these various manufacturing companies, you know, just like I know, the best way to impact your P&L is to cut cost. And where the struggle is, is do you focus on, you know, CapEx or OpEx, right? You always hear CapEx, capital expenditures, i.e. future innovations, robotics, automation, right? And then you've got OpEx. Hey, do we just keep being the same old company we've been and never change because we have approved suppliers and, you know, to break into some of these companies. I know in our world, it's like, well, you know, you're not an approved supplier. And it's like, right. But if we become one because of the warranted life of the products we make, you're going to be making less OpEx expenditures (laughs) because you're going to have to purchase less of our product. Right. So I just think that Mm -hmm. me, and this is the question I'm going to ask you, the future of manufacturing, I think, is this. The leaders that have had hands in the pockets and said, hey, we just want 5% growth year over year. We want to continue to leverage or cut costs. I think the future is going to change. And it's so cliche, but you, Redlist, is now exposing and making every supplier accountable, whether it's software, whether it's you know Ethernet IP, you know, whatever the protocols are, that data, to your point, is exposing everything from even a hardware supplier like us, right? Like now we're realizing like the inefficiencies in this machine is supplier one, two, three, four, five. We've got the data. Like those things, you guys are reordering 20 times a year. Our suggestion, you review your data, you make your decision. Maybe it makes sense to quote unquote, make a CapEx investment or improve the innovation or design a new process. Short term, it's gonna cost you X dollars, but over the course of five to 10 years ROI, you're gonna reduce your annual OPEX by whatever, 40%. That's where I see the future. The years up until now, and I'm only 38 years old, since I've been in the manufacturing game, it's very much always been a good old boys club of, hey, these are our suppliers, we've known them, we've golfed with them for 40 plus years, Here's where we're at. It's the same thing over and over and over and over again. Watch out for the price increase every couple of years, but it is what it is. Now the companies that are embracing IIoT, not only just to be competitive locally or to your point in your home state of Utah, we're globalized now. The internet has made distribution and accessibility everywhere. So here's my question. Do you agree with me that the solutions that you guys are providing are very bluntly providing the data that can expose both the supplier, the processes, the labor efficiencies to where now the owner, leader of a manufacturing company has all that information to find where he needs to make or she needs to make changes. So the answer to that is is absolutely. 
And let me let me add a few points to that is that you had mentioned the types of manufacturers whose hands are in their pockets kind of going with the traditional more cheaper kind of mentality, right? Just beating the yep. drums of we'll do more and we'll buy bigger volumes, we'll reduce costs and we'll through scale and through sourcing and all these other things, we're gonna just reduce costs. And there's no question that that, that era is ending. And it's ending because of the introduction of these exponential technologies, right? So as a SaaS company, we represent part of this exponential technology kind of revolution where really our product is not limited to any amounts of inventory, right? It's really, we can scale up limitless, right? And at, at the higher ends of the scale with larger customers, you can start to get some amazing cost savings, which then enables them to use more tools than they ever, you know, in the past to be able to do machine learning or artificial intelligence was a very expensive endeavor. That's become very, very affordable. And so by the time you take our software suite of tools combined with empowered management teams and employees, combined with the robotics and a lot of the technologies that are coming out that really are extremely efficient, then you're going to start getting these really asymmetric, you know, almost oftentimes you'll hear it called the singularity of technology where the change and improvement is so fast it's almost a constant state of change. And the tricky thing about that type of change is you don't really see it coming until it's already upon you. So when you might be losing a little bit of market share today or a little bit of opportunity is all it feels, but if you're losing it to someone else who is leveraging exponential technologies, then the next month that little bit becomes twice as big. So it's still just twice of a little bit. And then the next month it becomes twice as big. And so also maybe gets you a little worried, but not too bad because it's still just twice as big of twice a little bit, right? But then all of a sudden one day it becomes a lot. And at that point, if you had to wait until you recognize a lot before you decided to change, it's already too late because somebody is already 10 or 12 cycles of exponential growth ahead of you and you become irrelevant very, very quickly. And that is, that is a reality of today's landscape that I think manufacturers need to be aware of and to start getting ahead of. So let me ask you this question, because I'm just, like I said, I'm getting more and more geeked on what Redlist can do. Something that I said in our intro. So Kogane, we're a Tokyo-based company. So being that Kogane is Japanese and geographically, Japan is a small country. <laughs> so Japan historically has led in robotics, advanced automation, because why? They had to do more in physical less space. One of the opportunities that I see here in North and South America, when we talk again, back to that P&L, you walk into some of these factories, and I'm not just saying Kogane. There's you know amazing vision systems. There's a lot of other component manufacturers that we get along with that we don't compete with. But one of the concepts that I think is very, very real, like I've been speaking about this Throughout North America, whether I go to a trade shows and I have a speaking engagement, I think that this concept of miniaturization is more than just a hyped trend. And what that simply means is if you have a facility that's 150,000 square feet and with using Redlist and you can reduce the workflow so you have raw material at the start of the conveyor process, right? And then a 500 yards down in the warehouse or in the facility. So you got, imagine a length of starting with raw material, 500 yards at the very end of the conveyor is the finished product, whatever they make. Mm -hmm. I think real estate buildings are expensive. And so for me, I am really embracing this concept of miniaturization because what I'm saying is 
Right now, you take raw material 500 yards down the conveyor, you have a finished product. If you use, let's say us, you know, 10 other suppliers that make things that we don't make, and now you can have raw material start where it starts, but in 50 feet, you've got the finished product. Same thing, but now you've reduced the overall physical size of your workflow and your real estate. I do think that companies can benefit so much and increase their profitability by reducing their processes. Do you agree with that? Yeah, so you asked, uh, there's a lot of different pieces that you asked there. And that's, uh, yeah, really take me back, I can... I'm excited, so. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, this is good, this is good. So I think the first thing is, you talked about the power of miniaturization, right? And from a real estate perspective, obviously the more production per square foot, the better. I think that maybe I can kind of reframe miniaturization a little bit yep. and talk about how miniaturization enables mobilization, right? Because I think what we're seeing is the future of automation that's really kind of upon us. I mean, whether or not Elon Musk's you know, commitment to have fully automated self-driving by the end of 2020 is a reality in 2020 or not, I think everybody around the table kind of believes that sometime in the next five years, this is going to start becoming a mainstream element. And when that happens, and part of why that's happened is through obviously miniaturization, but also creates this massive leap in mobilization. So for companies and groups to be able to share information and processes and even share footprints in different places because of an automated distribution method and everything that goes on, the more that what today feels like a mind-boggling complex process, if you were to imagine having shared manufacturing resources and having to ship that back and forth and all the different pieces that will go on. Like if you can take these things that are really, really complex to track and realize that we are trending towards simplification of complex processes by using automated technologies and data gathering like what we're describing through Redless and, and other forms of technologies like blockchain and some of these other elements. When you start looking to the future of that, the people who understand how to leverage their existing processes in whatever size of space are given and then to do the same kind of simplification of those processes they will have in some sense i'm going to argue through mobilization and automation of mobilization they're going to have almost an unlimited real estate at their fingertips for less per dollar than somebody who's just sitting on a piece of real estate this goes back to traditional views of manufacturing versus the future views of integrated shared processes and so forth, and kind of the exponential technology there. So there's no question that this miniaturization, they'll win at it, but I would probably suggest on top of that is the people, that's one way to still, but it's still kind of a traditional way of looking at it. Right. I think to identify how do, we, how do we take full advantage of the distribution and automation of mobilization that miniaturization offers, that opens up an entirely new market for very large new winners to emerge. Awesome. All right, let me ask about you, John. So a lot of times I like to ask the guests, and obviously you can tell I'm excited. Like, I want to have you on the show again. Yeah. I think that there's a lot of topics that, you know, we can discuss for our listeners. And, you know, we can talk offline about, you know, having you back again. But here's a question. So obviously you're running a SaaS company. For the listeners that don't know what SaaS is, so here's some of the questions I get, or I, you know, I've heard people say, well, you know, what's a SaaS? Do they make it or do they just buy the licensing and then sell the service? And so from my understanding, I believe like it's your technology 
and then you're selling basically a subscription to access all of the things that you have as a service, hence the acronym SAS. So I guess, can you confirm that I'm correct or just talk about, okay, what is a SaaS company? What does a contract look like with you guys? And then also, well, let's just start with that. <laughs> so what is, no, that's what is a SaaS company and, and how do your agreements work with a given customer? That's a great question. And obviously SaaS is becoming more mainstream. We experience it all the time from our Netflix accounts to our Apple Music accounts to our Gmail accounts or whatever, right? There's, these are all versions of the software as a service. Yep. But like you said, it, it, the acronym stands for software as a service. And in the old days, you used to buy a software license. I mean, you and I were kind of in the same era and you probably remember your first computer. I don't know if it had the, the three inch disc or the four, the bigger discs, right? The floppies. Yep. And uh, you had that program, you would buy it out of the box and then it would last until either you, your computer got outdated or they it just got too slow on your computer because of the new requirements, right? So, and then if you ever wanted an update, you had to buy the new version of the software. Yep. From a large enterprise experience, that's still the same thing. We have some competitors who still do what's called kind of a perpetual license. So in some sense, they'll charge you up front for the full cost of the software. Mm -hmm. And then you pay a minimal fee for some basic support and some maintenance, but you don't get the latest and greatest features because you just bought that one license, right? You bought that one big kind of instance. And what we're coming back to, and this kind of comes back to this concept of the fact that we're always, there's new technology coming out all of the time. Mm -hmm. And so how do you, you know, the, the manufacturers of this new technology, the providers of this new technology need to come up with some mechanisms to help their customers have this latest and greatest stuff in a way that was as close to real time as possible. I mean, and so the old kind of way of doing things doesn't match this exponential way of delivering new features and new requests. So in a SaaS world, which is why sometimes you log into Google and it says, hey, check out our new interface, you know? Yeah. And you look at it and sometimes you, they don't even tell you that because it's still like a small enough tweak. They don't have to make anybody nervous, you know? Right. But whatever SaaS experience you're using, I can almost assure you that there's an update going on on a very regular basis. And under that licensing model, you're really getting the latest and greatest. So in our world, our typical agreements or contracts are three-year contracts, right? Okay. And uh, they'll pay annually for those contracts, but we do new releases of the tool, like latest and greatest updates of new features or maybe tightening up some bugs or whatever that'll come out every two weeks every two to three weeks we're rolling out the latest and greatest we were really excited because just a few months ago apple announced its new watch kind of development tools set so we do a lot of stuff with our apple ios and obviously with android but the fun thing is that apple's their ecosystem is going to allow for a wearable to roll out wearable tech very, very easily and very, very quickly with all the iOS, you know, iPad and iPhone and all that whole ecosystem. So you look at that new feature coming out, it's like, great, we can now roll that out to all of our customers that want to get involved in the wearable space for whatever applications they're doing. And we want to get that rolling as quickly as possible. And our customers don't have to go spend a new licensing fee that month, right? When that feature becomes available, it's now available. Wow. And they have it as just part of their ongoing subscription fee. Awesome. So, and, and really, that's the type of relationship we want. We want to be in the market, not because we've locked people into 20-year contracts, but because we know we're providing the best 
value and service out there. And we want to make that available to people in their hands as quickly as possible. I'm telling you, John, I'm pumped. So like going back to your culture and your team, and obviously like the customers that are working with you are really excited because to your point, they're getting the latest innovations, the new rollouts, the new updates. I also have to believe though, like there's an onboarding process, right? We shake hands, we're working with you. Is there like going back to your team, your culture, new customer, hey, you know, typically what happens is this, we do a handshake, they come on board with us. The first thing we're gonna do is X, Y, Z. And then we come out and we sit down with, and then you gotta help me out, IT, manufacturing, to learn the interface. How is that all done? Yeah, so our interface is actually very intuitive. And so we do a lot of, we're available always for training with our customers anytime they wanna log in. We have a customer service hotline and we have a, an assigned account executive and an assigned customer support rep for each of our customers. Depending on the complexity of the deployment, right? We have some, we have a manufacturing customer that has a very complex deployment. They make a, a kind of a, a very large custom piece of heavy equipment in their world. And then uh, they also provide ongoing warranty support and services for that. Okay. And that's a, that's a pretty complex piece. And so we have a professional services team that goes out to provide on-site consulting and uh, we also obviously work on the back end to configure their systems and get to know their business and understand the work process and the workflow for that. So we, for more complex instances, we absolutely kind of take a consultative role. Like we talked about earlier, we're, we really kind of see ourselves as that special services techie extension of a lot of our heavy equipment and manufacturer partners, right? And that's a necessary piece, just like you're saying, because with all everything is changing so fast and somebody who's really, really good at manufacturing something, they just want to be able to have a partner that they can trust that understands the tech and where they're headed. And that's the role we fill. So yes, when we close a contract with a customer, we'll typically introduce them to our implementation team and we'll kind of understand their business and the, obviously the different applications of our tool in their business. And then we will work with them on a regular cadence through either shared desktop or plenty of phone calls as needed or on site as needed to make sure that they're adopting the tool and they're getting the value out of it. Man, sounds like you guys are doing some pretty amazing things at Redlist, John. So, you know, congratulations to you and your partners. Wow. So if people want to learn more about Redlist, how do they go about doing that? So just come and check us out at our website at yourredlist.com. That's Y-O-U-R-R-E-D-L-I-S-T.com. And, you know, again, your red list is this concept of your short list, the things that matter most. And then they can also reach out to us there. We have our phone number there. We have email, you know, and uh, we'll be happy to, uh, to circle up with them at any time. Or they can just call us on our phone number at uh, 844-REDLIST. That's 844-REDLIST. Now, John, are you guys on social at all? We are, actually. So if you look at, we have a, a big presence on LinkedIn, especially. They can reach out to me on LinkedIn and chat with me at any time. And they'd find me right there. At, I believe it's at uh, linkedin.com slash company slash redlist. So if they want to find us on LinkedIn and they can reach out to message me or anybody else there within a few degrees of, and it's www.linkedin.com slash company slash redlist. John, I'm going to want you to be a guest again. I just think that there's so many things I'd love it. to talk about, you know, and I don't even know, like maybe it's a, we start doing Q and A. I just, man, it's really exciting to hear because 
you know, these are the things that I believe are going to happen in the future. And to your point, this mobilization, this access to anything at all times in real time, having the data, it's going to dictate the inefficiencies and it's going to dramatically change manufacturing. I think single-handedly more than any hardware or anything else that comes out. Totally agree. We're on the same page with that one. Uh, all right. So, you know, again, everybody, John Keller, president of Red List, please go to www.redlist.com. I said that correctly, right? Yep. www.yourredlist.com. Yeah. Everybody, please go to www.yourredlist.com. Please learn more about John and his amazing company that's disrupting manufacturing. So honored to have you as a guest, John. Thank you so much. If you are in manufacturing and you have a story you want to share and be a guest of the show, the process is simple. Go to the Where'sWillyPodcast.com and request to be a guest of the show. You scroll all the way down to the homepage and download the guest registration form. All guests are free to the show. We look forward to sharing your story with our listeners. Thank you all so much for tuning in to this episode of the Where's Willie Podcast show with our special guest, John Keller of Red List. Thank you for tuning in to the Where's Willie show. For more information on future shows, please visit Where'sWillyPodcast.com or follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Where's Willie Podcast and on Twitter at Where's Willie P-O-D. Thank you all so much. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.